So let me get this straight. The first two episodes of the Robcast this year were live at Largo with Elizabeth Gilbert in all her glory. And then the third and fourth episodes, the next two episodes, were Kristen Bell asking this question, what do I do with my anxiety? I mean, that was the first, that's how we started the year. If that's how we started the year, how how great is this? Where is this headed? Or another question, how much do I love you? <laughs> and speaking of this word love, I have this friend who's like a North Star. Uh, you have those people, right? Those people around you who you turn to them. Sometimes it's because you know they're going to give you something that hasn't occurred to you, or other times there's something that you know to be true and they reflect it, they mirror it, affirm it back to you. But there are people who like help you figure out your path. But I have this friend, he's been this way for a number of years now. Um, I turned to him again and again and again. He said something recently to me. He said, and it was almost like a passing comment, but I didn't feel like that. He said, what if on the Robcast, you just talked about this week, like what, you, what was happening in you this week, what you're thinking, what you're feeling, what you're learning. And I kind of laughed at the time because I come from this world of craft where you have an experience, you come across an idea, you study, you interact, and then gradually something begins to form. And then you work with it. Like you're patient with it. You craft it, you shape it, you form it. You do a first version, second version, a third iteration, a fourth iteration, a fifth draft, a sixth draft. You just keep going over and over and over it and what's strong, what's weak, and you take it out for a spin, and you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that doesn't work, but this part over here needs to be expanded. And so you sort of live with it for a long period of time, and then after it's properly marinated, you, uh, you let it out into the world. And so it's like what he said sort of bumped up against that way that I have done what I do for so long. And yet it wouldn't, it was like that thing that just drifts to the back of your head, but then it comes right back down to your heart and back up to the front of your brain. It's like it wouldn't, it wouldn't go away. Almost like it, what he said was like an invitation uh, to approach something in a different way. So if I rip open my heart now, this week, and I look in there, and then talk about it. What I see, what I look in there, is this word, love. Uh, last week, I have this beloved friend. We surf together on a regular basis. And he, we were going back and forth on voicemails about plans to meet up. And on one of them, he said at the end of this, it's like a Monday afternoon or a Tuesday morning, he does this, hey, love you, man, at the end of the voicemail. And I thought, I do love him, and he loves me, and we tell each other this. But something about him saying, love you, man, it, like it, it was like a little lightning bolt of something. And that was because two days earlier, Kristen and I had gone to a party at a friend's house, 
And as we were leaving, we were in like his little eating area headed towards the front door and we said goodbye. And he said, I love you guys so much. And Kristen hugged him and I hugged him. And then all three of us like hugged each other. And Kristen were like, and I were like, we love you so much. And it was like, it's just a Saturday night at a party leaving, but it's also certain moments are about all other moments. Are you with me on this? Certain moments encapsulate the future and the past all collapse and you're just there. That's why we say this is what it's all about because certain moments embrace and envelop and absorb all other moments. And then I have this other friend who, uh, how do I say it? I think at some level he's the big brother I never had. We are similarly obsessed with tacos. And we have been on a quest, uh, I think it's an eight-year, seven-year quest to find the best taco or burrito in Los Angeles. And he recently sent me this clip from the LA Times about this new breakfast burrito place that people were saying is the greatest. Turns out it's (laughs) two guys in a folding table in an alley between two auto body shops. (laughs) Welcome to Los Angeles. But uh, he said, hey can you come Friday to my office and I'll get some of those burritos uh, for us? So I go uh, to his office and we have these burritos that are, I'm telling you, that's heaven and earth coming together. (laughs) And we're just talking about our lives. We would literally set our burritos down at regular on the coffee table between us in his office just because you didn't want it to be over. Do you know what I mean? You literally back away from the burrito just to keep the experience going so it won't be over so soon. And I absolutely adore this friend. We tell each other we love each other. In that moment, our love for the burrito that we are each eating is sort of taking over. Um, But then a couple of days ago now, this has been two days ago, Kristen and I saw another friend and she was like, I love you guys so much. We were like, we love you. And what struck me is, am I just like telling everybody I love them and I didn't used to do this? Is this something that comes with age? Is this something that comes as you get farther down the path, you become more aware of how precious and sacred these loves are. Or you think about it like a jar of marbles, and in this lifetime, in this go-around, as we say, I'm going to tell this person I love them this many times, and that's the marbles in a jar. And I just took out one of those marbles. There's There's a limited amount of them. I just took one of them out. That's like a big deal, even if it's a voicemail on a Tuesday morning, or burritos on a Friday, or a party on a Saturday. Yeah, I tell my kids I love them all the time, and my my adult boys tell me they love me all the time. We don't talk on the phone without love you, love you too. Um, I tell my daughter that I love her all the time. And she started doing this thing recently when I'd say, love you, baby. And she says, I love you more. 
And at first I was like, that's funny that that's her response. So I would say like, no, uh, I love you more. And she'd be like, no, I love you more. And so a couple of times when she did this, started doing this, I would like come back with, I love you more. And she'd be like, no, I love you more in like this really straightforward. And I would like, no, seriously, I love you more. I'm older, I'm bigger. And she'd be like, but I love you more. And what I began to observe is I'm not going to win this one. I am, I will not prevail here. I can, I can go seven, 10, 20 rounds. And all she's going to say is, I love you more. And that's funny because she's small. She's nine. The airbag turns off when she gets in the front seat. Are you with me? That small. And yet she says, I love you more. And it like hits me like a blast. It's like a wonderful punch in the face when she's like, I love you more. It's as if that little nine-year-oldness knows that when you're dealing with love, you're dealing with something that is infinite in its nature and resources. Because oftentimes we're handling raw materiality, money, things, stuff, and, and it has boundaries and edges, but love doesn't. Yeah. You can't divide the infinite. People show up at different times to work in the vineyard, but Jesus tells a story in which they all get paid the same because how could you ever divide the infinite? And there's probably a cap on IQ. Are you with me on this? Uh, talent, physical strength, that's all got a ceiling. And we're surrounded by the winners in those categories. We've been surrounded our whole lives with the people who are just plain smarter, the people with more energy, the people with more money, accomplishments. We've, we've played that game. We've seen that. But when you move into love, it's a completely different territory where it's endless. Anybody could get good at love. It, it is both as intimate and as near as your heart, and yet it's as wide as the universe. There's this famous prayer, the Shema. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I've always had that sense. It's a bit intimidating, um, because what about all the times you don't have love? When someone tells me, oh, so-and-so's so loving, I honestly think that's so nice, that's so inspiring. But also for me, it's got an underbelly of, I, they're not saying that about me. <laughs> Any of you have this feeling? Do you have this feeling of you hear about love and it instantly, it's like somebody's holding up in front of you all of the ways you aren't. But what's interesting about this ancient prayer, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, by the way, the Torah, first five books of the Bible. It's right there in the middle. And there's an ancient practice of saying it every day. The word strength there, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength. The word strength is a word meod. If you were to spell it like phonetically, it's like meod, M-E-H-O-D-E. That's how you'd pronounce it. Meod, M-E-O-D, essentially. But meod... It gets translated like strength or force or maybe even power. But what's interesting is a number of linguistic scholars say that probably a way to get the feel of the Hebrew is would you translate it muchness. 
which we don't even really have that word in, in English, but a number say that's probably a better way to think about it would be like, love the Lord your God with all your muchness. You are the recipient of this extraordinary gift that we call your life. And so you return in gratitude this gift. Keep this generosity in circulation. That might be another way to say it. And here's the thing about muchness. I had always read muchness as, well, I don't have much. Yeah, lack. All the times I wasn't that loving. But you could also read muchness, and others have, uh, some of the rabbinic commentary is fascinating, love with whatever you've been given. Return whatever you have at the moment. You might only have a little bit in the tank, but whatever you do, return it, keep it going, pass it along. So as opposed to a command that is sort of static and dead, this does this, this does that, it's like a dynamic loop in which you become aware of how this whole phenomenon of your life flows from a common source, a divine source. And so you keep it in circulation. You have received because one gave, so then you receive and then give. That you, you are invited to participate in this particular movement with whatever you happen to have in this moment. It might not be much. It might not be the muchness scale. You might not have a lot today, but you just return what you've been given. You know, the, uh, the Greeks talked about love. There was eros love, where we get the word erotic. So you like, you know, sexy time love. Then uh, you had phileos, uh, which is like affection, tenderness. You're drawn, attracted to somebody, like a sister love, brother love, companion love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly, sisterly love. There's that kind of uh, affectionate, warm-hearted, you're drawn to this person. You want to be with them. But when Jesus says, love your enemies, he doesn't use that word. He uses a di- the word that gets used in the story is agape. It's a different word. It's uh, agape is like a, it's like a giving. It's like a sacrifice in the most ennobled, dignified sort of way. Uh, agape, there is a love that loves something because it's worthy. It's beautiful. It's designed well. It can serve you in all sorts of ways. There is a love that loves something because of how worthy it is. I love your new car. Oh, I love that dress. Agape loves something and in loving it, that thing becomes worthy. It's a love that transforms the thing that's being loved. So this is why when you see somebody who's like, oh my goodness, why do they love that dog? That dog is such a sad thing as a rug with legs. Ever had that thought? You're like, and yet the way this person cares for their dog, which you would not, that dog, for that is that even a dog? That is an excuse for a dog. And yet they love that dog in such a way that it transforms how you see the dog. The dog suddenly becomes something way more than you initially 
saw it as. Yeah, that's, that's a different kind of love. So what I find so, oh, I don't even know what the word is, convicting and inspiring to love your enemies, or I translate, all those moments when nothing within you, you feel like you got nothing, no muchness on this one. You're never, it's not a requirement to like. It's almost like whatever you have in there, just tilt it. Something within you wants to step back. If you have any muchness, tilt forward. Something within you wants to stay silent because you have, and yet just one word might do something for this moment, might transform this event. Yeah, you don't have to like it. It's just this awareness. I might actually have here more than I realize I have. Yeah, and so then it just becomes that slight, it's that slight little tilt when you could check out, but you stay checked in. When you would say something snarky, even just, but I won't, I'll just let that comment pass. I got that, I have that muchness in me. And that may actually be a step. If it's forward movement, and if it's less animosity and cynicism, then it is at some level a step into love. You are beginning to return and not block this divine flow that we are invited into. When uh, I uh, go on tour, right before I go on, I go behind because the stage, because at the back of stages, there's this curtain. And behind the curtain, there's generally a narrow walkway. Sometimes it's big. I go back there and I can hear all the people on the other side of the curtain filling the venue. And I can sense, I can feel their, all these different presences intermingling with each other. And I face the crowd, although they can't see me. I raise my arms up as high as I can, and I stretch them out. And I ask for love. I, uh, I ask that I will be filled with love and that love will flow through me to all these people. And I, sometimes you can hear like individual voices here and there. And I try and open up my physical body because that, uh, we're kinesthetic creatures, that speaks, it's like a ritual I do. Um, because if I open up the body, it speaks to me of what I'm asking to happen with my heart. Uh, and I ask, I think about all these people filling this room and they're all coming from these different backgrounds. I ask that each person will hear and feel and experience whatever it is they need uh, for the next step on their path. You know, when I first started doing sermons, this thing would happen where I would give a sermon and then somebody would come up afterwards and say something like, oh, thank you so much. Uh, I finally am at peace with my mother's death. And I would think, oh, that's so great. I would say, that, oh, oh my word, that's just, thank you so much for sharing that. And then I would think, wait, 
that sermon was about generosity. <laughs> that had nothing to do with loss or death or making peace with the end of life. What? And this happened again and again where a person would tell me of an experience they have that had nothing to do with what I was talking about. I eventually was like, why do I even prepare? Why, why do I even try to say an actual thing when all of this other stuff is happening in the room? But then I began to understand the architectural dimensions of this, that what I was doing was creating space and things were happening in that space way beyond anything I could cook up. And what I also noticed is the more I gave myself to what I was doing, and at some level that includes like just old-fashioned hard work, but, uh, but that's, that, that can be easily, that can, uh, that can be taken in all sorts of destructive ways as well. There's a, that is included in something about giving yourself to something, your full presence. That what I, when I began to notice is the more I gave myself to whatever I was saying, to whatever specific I was saying, the harder I worked to get the sentences as crafted as I could to what I was trying to say, that somehow widened and opened it up. It was like the more I was like, this is what I'm saying, the more I became aware of how that created an even wider space. There is a, there is a paradox in there that I have spent 25 years trying to figure out, uh, but now I just let it be the beautiful thing that it is. The harder I worked at this is what I have to say, and the more I gave myself to it and followed it wherever it leads, the more I heard people saying, man, this is this is what happened to me during that experience. This is what those words did. And I would, now I just laugh like, yeah, spirit speaks to each person. Whatever it is they needed to hear is way, way, way beyond me. So I stand back there with my arms stretched out, asking to be opened up because I know that whatever it is that's about to happen goes way beyond me. I, I just maybe lit a fuse or in the, in the liturgical tradition, they talk about the liturgy is like a cathedral of words, right? And you, it's like you go into this beautiful room and each time you go in the space that's been created by the words, you, you see something different. So I just ask, that this love would come in me and then through me, that I would receive so that I could give, so that I could be part of this divine flow and keep it all in circulation, that I could just pass it along, pass it along. Yeah, but but the same thing, this is not, I mean, it's not about stages, ultimately, because when my kids have their friends over to the house and they're hungry and they say, Rob Bell, will you make us tacos? And I'm cooking up a storm and these kids are eating and it's the best 
thing in the world. Recently, uh, I got caught off guard. My honestly, the refrigerator. I did not have the refrigerator in peak form, and there was a request for tacos, and I managed at seven or eight at night to rustle up an egg and tater tot taco, which I announced with a flourish was a breakfast taco. Uh, There was not, let's say this, not a lot of muchness in the kitchen, in the refrigerator, in, in the cupboard, but I managed to pull off a breakfast egg tater tot taco in the evening telling them breakfast tacos for dinner. And these kids are like, oh man, these are, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought to have breakfast tacos at night for dinner. These are amazing. Oh, love, love. <laughs> you see how it's the, it's these little tilts. It's these little tilts. By the way, there's a metaphor in there. I think we just, we just stumbled into something there. There's not a lot of muchness in that refrigerator, but you whip up. Oh my goodness, I know some of you are doing this. Not a lot of love, not a lot of muchness in the love refrigerator. This is the most cumbersome metaphor, but we'll work with it here. Uh, But man, you whip up whatever you can with the ingredients, whatever you got in the tank, whatever muchness you do possess, whatever you have been given, you, these are the little tilts. I don't have a lot, but I can do this. Yeah, love, love, yeah, love. There's a psychologist from Harvard named Ellen Langer who did a groundbreaking study that, interestingly enough, raised a fair bit of ruckus because it raises all these issues, and in psychologist world, there were lots of opinions about this study. But Ellen Langer did this study where she gathered together a group of women who clean hotel rooms for their job, hotel maids. And she asked them, how many of you get exercise on a regular basis? And 67% of the women, over two-thirds of the women said, I don't get any exercise ever. Then Ellen Langer divided these maids into two different groups. There were 84 of them who took part in the study. They divided them into two different groups. To the one group, they said nothing more. To the other group, They said to them, now actually, the majority of you said that you get no exercise, but then they showed them how the tasks that they did as part of their job, pushing something, lifting, carrying, moving things around, they showed them how many calories these different tasks were actually burning and that that fits under essentially the technical description of exercise, that they actually were getting exercise in the course of their workday. Then they came back 30 days later and did a whole series of measurements on the women's bodies, their overall health. Among other things, they noticed that in the group that had been told, actually, you are getting exercise, there was an overall 10% drop in blood pressure. That's just one of the many ways in which their bodies registered significant improvements in health that were not shown in the other group that wasn't told this that had virtually no changes. Now, obviously, people who are studied in this field can go all day on the ramifications of this. But if, and obviously, there's a couple 
straightforward questions. How much is the way that the furniture is arranged in your mind and heart affecting every cell in your body? And when you say, I'm just not very loving, what's that, what's that sending throughout this whole phenomenon we know to be you, body, soul, spirit, mind? But when you shift it to, I will love with all my muchness, whatever I got, I can at least, I can at least do that today. That little shift, who knows what that will unlock? Who knows? Yeah, I, uh, it would have been 11 years ago. I heard that Jay-Z and Eminem, this is a segue, by the way, Jay-Z and Eminem were doing uh, a couple of back-to-back shows. That was it. They were, I think they were calling it the Home and Away series. Two shows Detroit, two shows uh, New York, I believe it was. And I was like, oh my word, I have to take my son, my 10-year-old son. We have to be at that, right? Because what parent would hear that Eminem and Jay-Z are doing shows together and not take your 10-year-old son, right? Can you imagine? Of course, we can't miss that. I'm telling you, this show, and having seen a fair bit of shows in my day, Jay-Z came out first. It, it, it was an outdoor baseball stadium, but he managed to blow the roof off. Are you with me on this? It, it was unbelievable. And he kept introducing, it seemed like everybody who's ever rapped was there. So at one point he'd say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, my friend Drake, and Drake would come out, Meek Mill, you name it. So by the end of Jay-Z's show, which was so unbelievable, at one point he had the screens just filled with images of stained glass, and he said, let's go to church. <laughs> and people just losing their minds. I, I, what is this? What is happening? It was absolutely awesome. Then... Eminem comes out, and you're like, who, how do you follow that? Who could follow that? And you kind of have this sense of like, well, we love Eminem, but, but after what just happened, after what Jay-Z just did, you know, uh, and then Eminem comes out, and it's, uh, it was when he had like the comeback, and he hadn't done a show in Detroit in forevers. And they did this video before he took the stage about tonight he returns, and I'm telling you, look at me. I'm like choked up thinking about it. He hadn't even taken the stage. And it was insane. And then he starts going, and then Eminem has guests joining him. So like, how does this evening, how does this evening go any higher? Then towards the end, uh, uh, right before one of the songs, smoke starts to, you know, that stage fog starts to pour out of this hole in the front left part of the stage. And the whole crowd, you you haven't seen it pour out of that particular space. You're like, what's that? And then this hydraulic stage rises up and Dr. Dre is on the stage. And people are completely losing their minds, me included. He had Dr. Dre back there the whole time and like he he knew he was gonna surprise us with dr dre and uh 
I remember the crowd is looking at Dr. Dre freaking out. And you know what Eminem says to the crowd? How much do I love you? (laughs) How much do I love you? Seriously, friends, that's, excuse me, that's how he framed that moment. How much do I love you? It's like, I had this planned. I knew this was going to happen. And when it did, the joy of watching you lose your mind, man, how much do I love you? You know what I mean? Try this as a mantra. Try this one out. Take this one for a spin. Here, here's, here's one way to do it. Uh, you're in a... Well, this had this once again, this happened this week. I had to go get this parking thing renewed. And you know those city offices where you have to go through and fill out those forms and it takes forever and you have to pick a number like at the deli and then wait. And there's one person at a booth who's working, but they're not taking your number. They're just sitting there and then... And it's like one of those bureaucratic things that just makes you mental. I pull the number. I'm waiting. I've got to fill out this renewal to get this thing, the sticker pass thing. And this woman from the back of the offices comes up. How can I help you? I show her what I need. And it's like one of those routine. She does this all day long. She fills out this form. She types this into a computer. She gets the thing. Just one of those, like, so easy to be numbed by the the mundane nature of it. But I, uh, she got she she got my me my thing so fast, and I just smiled because I was like, this woman, she just needs a lightning bolt of joy and love. Are you with me on this? And I just said, oh my word, you did that so fast. I think you are the best in the world at this, and I'm telling you. That lady laughed. Her face went from bureaucratic numbness to childlike wonder and joy. She just melted. and, And honestly, as long as we're just being straightforward here, I do this all the time. If you're fourth in line at the CVS and you know this person has been beep, beep, scanning all day, just decide, how much do I love you? Just decide, I am going to have a few seconds of interaction with this person, and I'm going to tilt things. I got a little muchness in me. I'm going to tilt things in their direction. I'm going to, I'm going to play. I'm, I have, I have a little energy for a few words. I'm going to say something, not trivial, not manipulative. You understand what I'm saying? There's a, there has to be a purity here. I'm telling you, the things you can do in brief periods of time to thank people, to acknowledge them, to affirm them into taking this sense you have that you have received and you keep receiving and you get to just pass along a little bit of it. 
just a little bit of it. Uh, and the thing about our world is little bits can make big explosions, like tiny bits of kindness that require next to no effort, just dashes of muchness. Ooh, oh, there's a phrase, dashes, blips. I like that better, blips of muchness, glimpses of much, passing clouds of muchness, whatever thing you got. Man, you send this towards somebody, you direct it, you focus it, you channel it, you share it. Everything gets better. I mean, like it's a voicemail on a Tuesday morning and a friend ends it with, love you, man. And you're like, oh, he does. And I do. And we are. And it is. <laughs> yeah, that's how it works. That's how it works. See, because you're, you're telling yourself a story. You're already telling yourself a story. So why not just tell a better one? Right? Isn't there some better way to think about it? Think about how many people, the images are, it's a trial. It's a slog. It's a battle. It's a grind. However true those images and metaphors may be from time to time, if those are your dominant metaphors and images to explain this thing that you are in, this thing that you are doing, this thing that you have received, of course that's going to affect you. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Or you just decide to tell different stories. Oh, this clerk, I know I'm the fifth person in line. Oh my word. This clerk, how much do I love you? Not in a creepy way, by the way. Not stalkerish. Not, you know, it's uh it's play. Play. It's like blessed are the ones who are in on the joke. Hey, you try this, watch this. Oh my word. People some people are hard as rocks, let's be honest. But lots of people. Yeah just open up instantly. It's like we're waiting for it. It's like we want it. Sometimes we just know how to access it. And then this person comes along, and apparently they're in on the joke. <laughs> oh, and the whole thing shifts. It's like the whole world, our hearts, they tilt on this incredibly sensitive, fragile axis. The slightest little things, right? That, that one, you had a hundred emails and that one email had a little negativity in it. And that's the one that you're carrying around, right? We're, we're so, think about all the time somebody said something, a little dig, a little cut, a little slam. You carried it around for a week. So just remember that, that it's like an Eichler painting. There's an opposite to that. If it can shift with just that little bit, then can it shift the other direction with a little bit in the other direction? Just a little bit of muchness and love. Love and muchness, whatever you have. Yeah. Is there somebody, let's wrap this up, shall we? Is there, which really means let's just get started, right? An ending is the beginning. All I'm doing is starting conversations. Is there somebody who, uh, man, it would be so much fun to tell them that you love them. 
And some people like, I love you, is a little what? Huh? Uh, some people I don't, and I love them greatly. And so I say, I have so much love for you. Or I say, I gotta be, I just want you to know, I love it when I get to see you. I love our conversations. Sometimes like, I love you, it's just a little bit, whoa, what? How do we get here? Uh, but I, I say it in all kinds of ways, because different friends, you come in different doors, you know what I mean? Is there somebody, and you're not, by the way, creating anything. You're simply naming what is already true and present. You just realize, oh, I love this person. I have so much love for them. They have loved me so well. I should tell them that. Yeah. Tilts everything. Can change everything. And then you have those situations. Like, think about all the people who are really hard to love. Are you with me on this? Oh, maybe you have, uh, I don't know, coworkers, neighbors. Maybe for you it's Thanksgiving. There are people you have such sordid, mixed, conflicted, ambivalent history. So then it just becomes, well, I'm not telling them I love them because I don't. Okay. But would there be some pleasure in whatever muchness I can muster up. So it becomes a very simple prayer. Uh, I just want to pass along whatever muchness I have with this person. Maybe you're just slightly less mean, slightly less cynical. Uh, maybe you just approach it with, how much do I love you? Boy, <laughs> not much, but the little bit that's there. Let's work with that. Who knows whether just that bit of reframing, your blood pressure may go down 10% less in the next 30 days. <laughs> Look how I, that was a callback, by the way. That was like a little bit of an awkward callback, but I like it. It works. It works thematically. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's love and muchness, my friends. That's me. That's where I'm at and what I'm thinking about and what's happening this week. This, my friends, has been Robcast, episode 228. I'm home uh, 27 days of the month. I'm with my family and with my friends, picking my daughter up from school. It's the best. But then two or three once in a while more nights a month. I leave just for a couple nights and I go around and I'm waging a full-scale assault on cynicism. It's called the Introduction to Joy Tour. Uh, the first 13 cities are up on my site. Lincoln, Nebraska, you're next. Then Kansas City, Tulsa, and Oklahoma City, you're coming soon. All the tickets and info about the tour. More cities, obviously, will be uh, announced in the near future. But I do that from time to time. And obviously, if you come, we will have so much fun because it will be more fun if you're there. That's the introduction to Joy Tour. All that info is at robbell.com. May grace and peace and love and muchness be yours, my friends.